So Romans 8, 28 through 39, uh, these 12 verses uh, contain many of the fridge-worthy truths that we have covered in this series uh, from other passages of Scripture. And they provide a good summary of all that we've covered uh, in this series. If I needed to summarize this entire series in one or two statements, it would probably be something like this. God is always with us, always working for our good, and God is always enough for us. When we have the relationship that we should have with God, He is always enough. He is everything that we need. And Romans 8, 28 through 39 contain uh, that truth and, and, and states that truth in a variety of encouraging ways that I want to share uh, over the next few minutes. So let's go ahead and look at our text. Again, if you have your Bible, you can follow along there. Uh, if not, it should be on the screen uh, behind me. I'll read and you follow along as I do. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those who he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who can bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. What an amazing, truth-packed, encouraging passage of Scripture those 12 verses are. And so I want to hopefully briefly share five encouraging truths that we find in these verses, but I first want you to note that verse 28 qualifies who these truths apply to. These truths are for those who love God and have been called according to his purpose. If you love God, if you have been called according to his purpose, you can claim these truths for yourself today. Another way of saying this is that these truths are for believers. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything in these 12 verses is for you. If you're here today and you've not come to a place of 
believing in Jesus and placing your faith in him, I want you to know today that God desires that very greatly. He wants you to come and place your faith and your trust in him. I want you to know today that all of us here who are believers want you to become a believer. We are pulling for you to come to the place where you say, yes, I believe in Jesus. And I want these, these benefits for myself. Christians, if they are who they are supposed to be, are not people who want to hoard all of the blessings that come from a relationship with God for ourselves. We want everyone to experience the blessings that come from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that is our hope for anyone here today who has not received Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, there's a lot that can be said about how one becomes a believer, and, and I'm going to say a little bit more about that later, but, but the Apostle Paul made it really simple for us in Romans 10:13 when he wrote that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. At any point today that you recognize your need of a Savior and you recognize that Jesus is that Savior you need, if you just call out to him, Jesus, I need you, save me. He'll do exactly that. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that at the end of the message, but you don't have to wait until then. You can do that at any moment in time throughout this message right where you sit. And that transaction will take place at that precise moment that you call out to the Lord. So these five encouraging truths we see are for believers. If you love God, been called according to his purpose, you can claim them for yourself. The first encouraging truth we see is in verse 28, and it's been emphasized frequently throughout this series. God is working for our good, God is working for your good through all the circumstances of our lives. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Tim Barrett highlighted this truth in his message a few weeks ago that focused on the life of Joseph and all of the challenges and difficulties of Joseph's uh, life. Uh, you, you know that the, the scripture shows us that through all of the tough stuff that Joseph went through, even those times when he was horribly sinned against, we, we can see by reading about his life that God was working through all of that for the good of Joseph and for Joseph's entire family. Now, those of you who have been believers for a long time, you probably have situations that you can look back in your life and say, that was a really tough patch that during the time that I was going through it, I had no idea what God was up to. But now, being able to look back and, and see uh, from, from this perspective, I now can see what God was doing and the good that God was bringing into my life through all of that. I've seen this play out in my own life in the mid-1990s. Michelle and I left the church that we had been a part of since before we had gotten married. It was the denomination we had spent most of our childhoods in. It was the church that we had been married in. And in leaving that church, we lost some of our closest and dearest friends, some simply because, you know, when you're in church together, the church kind of helps to support the friendship. 
And then when you're not in church together anymore, you don't have that same support structure to the friendship. So some friendships we lost because of that. Some we lost because people were hurt over our decision to leave. There was a lot that was very painful about that time. I, I know that I personally felt very cast adrift uh, after we made that decision. That decision led to us connecting with the vineyard. And for at least the first year we were in the vineyard, I at least, Michelle made the transition better than I did, but for the first year we were in the vineyard, I was always right on the cusp of not being in the vineyard anymore. It was a tough, tough transition for me. It was so different. It was so uncomfortable. And if I had the time to explain all the different dynamics of that decision and that transition, uh, you would understand better than you may now just that it was a really difficult, challenging situation. It was a hard thing to go through. But I look back at it now, 20-some years down the road from that life-altering decision, and I can see how God was at work for our good. Everything in that situation was not good, but God was working for our good, working in and through and around all of the circumstances of that major life change to bring about his plan for our lives. Whatever you are here today facing, a job loss, health problem, fractured relationship, financial insecurity, a church change to this one, not away from this one, you, you can be confident that even though your situation may not be good, God is at work for your good in that situation. He absolutely is. The second encouraging truth we see is in verses 29 and 30. God foreknew us and predestined us to be called, justified, and glorified. The scripture says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, those verses obviously cover some ground that Christians have wrestled over since the words were written. So we really can just not do much more than scratch the surface today. We really can't even scratch the surface. So the way I'm going to approach this is just to share what I believe this means and why I believe it's so encouraging. The God that we serve is omniscient. He knows everything. And he's always known everything. Before God spoke the universe into existence, he knew everything that would happen in the entire history of the entire universe. He knew everything that would ever happen on this third rock from the sun that we call the earth. There has never been anything hidden from God. He knows it all. This means that before the first creation command was ever given, God knew each of us. He knew you. He knew everything about us. He knew everything about you. 
He knew every moment of our lives. He knew every thought and fear and joy and failure and accomplishment that each and every one of us would have. He knew where and when we'd be born. He knew where and when we'd die. He's always known everything. And while salvation is a free gift offered to everyone, God knew before the earth was ever spoken into existence who would and who would not receive the salvation that he would offer us through Jesus Christ. And knowing all of that, before he ever spoke the first creative word, God said, in effect, let it be so. Let it be so. Predestination, in my view, is not God choosing who is saved and who is lost. It is God saying, let it be so, to each person's personal decision to receive or reject Jesus. Here's what's so encouraging about this. If we really love God, if we have really been called according to his purpose, if we are truly believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have unshakable confidence that God intends to complete his work in us. Amen. The music can serve as confirmation of the truth of that statement. God intends to complete his work in us. Notice the progression of what Paul writes. Those he foreknew, he predestined to first, what? Be called. Then, to be justified. Then, to be glorified. Calling is when we first begin to understand that God is reaching out to us and inviting us into a relationship with himself. Justification occurs when we respond to God's calling and we actually trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord. We personally receive the benefits of Christ's sinless life, substitutionary death, and victorious resurrection. And then glorification, which has not happened for any of us yet. It hasn't. Glorification is that time in the future when Christ returns and we live forever with Him. And I want you to notice that while it hasn't happened yet, Paul says that those God called and justified, He also glorified, past tense, past tense. It hasn't happened yet, but Paul writes about it as if it's already happened. Why would he do that? He did it because Paul had a confidence that all of us should have. And that is that God intends to fully accomplish his plan for all of us who love him and are called according to his purpose. This truth appears throughout the scripture. This assurance that God plans to complete his work in us appears throughout the scriptures. Here's what it says in Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
Listen, the enemy of our souls tries to discourage us. Anytime we fail God and sin, anytime we have a doubtful thought go through our mind, anytime we get down and discouraged about something, anytime that our devotional life isn't as strong as it should be or it's not happening at all, sure that's not true for anyone here, but in those times, the enemy tries to convince us that we simply aren't going to make it, that God is annoyed with us, that God is angry with us, that we might as well throw in the towel because we don't have what it takes to live for God. We don't have what it takes to stay in Christ until he returns. If you're tempted to throw in the towel for any of these kinds of reasons, Paul encourages you today that those that God called and justified, he's also glorified. God will see his plan through in your life. Believe that and reject the lies of the evil one. You can make it because God will complete his work in you and nothing can snatch you out of God's hand. We find the third encouraging truth in verse 32. God gave his son for us. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He gave his son for us in Bethlehem's manger as God condescended to take on human flesh and live among us in this fallen broken world, we should never lose sight of what an incredible thing that is that God would condescend to become one of us. God gave his son for us on Calvary's cross, allowing him to die an excruciating death to pay the penalty for the sins of mankind, including my sins and your sins. Through the mystery of the Godhead, it is true both to say that God gave himself for us and also to say that God gave his son for us. Both are theologically accurate statements. But it's this idea of God giving his son for us that has always had the greatest impact on me as I have realized the depth of God's love for us. It's had the greatest impact on me because I know that in a threatening situation, I might, not going to promise I would, but I might risk my life for some of you in this room. Not going to guarantee it, but if the moment was right, I might. I might. Because I care for you and because I love you. Sorry, choking up right there was not an indication of... An untruthful statement. <laughs> I really do love you. But can I be brutally honest with you today? I would not risk either one of my sons for any of y'all. You look stunned, but you really, really shouldn't be that stunned. I'd never... <laughs> I would never risk Aaron's life for any of you. I would never risk Austin's life for, for any of you. 
I love you, but those are my sons. I'm sorry. But if my options are save them or save you, you're not getting saved. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Been nice knowing you. Heaven's going to be sweet. And that doesn't make me unloving toward you. I'd expect you to feel the same way about your own children. If you'd choose me over your own children, you've got a problem. And it's because we know the intensity of our love for our kids that it's so remarkable when we read in the scriptures of God's willingness to give his one and only son for us. God loves you so much that he didn't spare his son from paying the penalty for your sin. We really can't fully wrap our brains around that. Paul writes here to encourage us. Since God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not graciously give us all? Paul's saying that since Christ wouldn't even withhold his son from us, he won't withhold anything from us. He didn't give his son only to withhold salvation. No, he gave his son for us. And because he did, he won't withhold salvation from us. He gave his son to give us salvation. He didn't give us his son to then withhold peace from us. No, if God is willing to give us his son, he's willing to graciously give us everything that we need for life and godliness. This gift of God's son is given to everyone. It's offered to everyone. It's offered to all people. This gift of Jesus the son is offered to every human being on earth. But the gift is only received by faith. It's offered to everyone, but not everyone receives it. It's received by faith. It is my hope and prayer that anyone here today who has not previously responded to the offer of the gift of God's Son, Jesus, would do so today. I'm going to give you that opportunity in a few minutes. In verses 33 and 34, we see the fourth encouraging truth from our text. Christ is currently at the right hand of God, and he intercedes for us. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. You can read that this way. Who will bring any charge against those, God, uh, those whom God has chosen? No one. Because it's God who justifies. Verse 34. Who is he that condemns? Jesus Christ, who died, more than that, who has been raised to life, is the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. You can read that this way. Who is he who condemns? No one. Because Christ has died for the defendant, has been raised from the dead, and is now at the right hand of God interceding for the defendant. William MacDonald reminds us of this. If the Lord Jesus to whom all judgment has been committed, does not pass sentence on the defendant, but rather prays for him, 
then there's no one else who could have a valid reason for condemning him. What an encouragement. What, what, a, what a wonderful truth. Though my sins are many, though your sins are many, there is no charge against us because Jesus has justified us. There's no condemnation for us because the only one who could condemn us instead continually intercedes on our behalf before God. The one who could rightly be our prosecutor and judge is instead our great defender. We are guilty of so much, but because of Christ, there's no charge against us, and we can live free of condemnation. At the start of this chapter that we're in, Paul wrote, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're free. I'm free. The enemy of our soul will try to condemn us. People may try to remind us of our failures and shortcomings. But because of Christ, we are free of condemnation before God. I pray that this truth would sink into your spirit and set you free from any feelings of condemnation that you have today. God is working for our good in all the circumstances of our lives. God foreknew us and predestined us to be called justified and glorified. God gave his son for us. Christ intercedes for us. And then the fifth encouraging truth we see in our text, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Death nor life, angels nor demons, the present nor the future, no power, height nor depth can separate us from the love of Christ. And if the message hasn't been clear enough yet, Paul writes that there isn't anything in the entire creation that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what this means is, there is no one that can separate us from the love of Christ. And it means that there is nothing, literally nothing, in the entire creation, including death, that can separate us from the love of Christ. No one and nothing can separate us from Christ's love. He is with us through every circumstance of life. And his presence and love are enough for us in every circumstance. What a wonderful truth. What a wonderful problem. Or problem, promise. Sorry. <laughs> Whew, that was quite the, quite the slip up there. In these 12 verses, we have found a whole series of fridge-worthy truths. A whole series of them. And they're wonderful, wonderful truths. And in the middle of all of these wonderful truths, these wonderful promises, or problems, promises, <laughs> Paul asks an important question. Look at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, before we get too excited about that, because we know the end of 
We, we know the answer to that question. Most of us do. But, but let's face the truth that we really do have a lot of opposition in life. Who is against us could be answered, well, there's a lot against us, actually. <laughs> there really is. All the things that we read about in verses 35 through 39 are against us. Trouble, hardship, persecution, danger. People sometimes align themselves against us. We know that the enemy of our souls is going around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so the meaning of this question then is this. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can successfully stand against us and God's purpose for us? That's the real question. There are people aligned against us. There are forces against us. But the, the real question is who can successfully stand against us and God's purpose for us? And here's the answer. That all 12 verses, 28 through 39, provide... It's an encouraging, faith-building answer that if we ever really believed it deep in our being, it would revolutionize our lives. Here's the answer. Because God is for us, no one and nothing can defeat his plan and purpose for us. Because God is for you, no one and nothing can defeat his plan and purpose for you. Because God is for you, he's going to work in every situation in your life, even the bad ones, to bring about the good in your life, to bring about what's good for you. Because God is for you, he's going to complete his work in you. He called you, he's justified you, and those who belong to him, he, he will see that they're glorified. God is going to complete what he started in you. He's going to complete what he started in me. Because God is for you. He secured your salvation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Because God is for you, you don't have to live with feelings of condemnation. You can be set free knowing that Christ has justified you and that he continually intercedes before God on your behalf. You can know that he is at work silencing the accusations of the enemy. I, I don't know if this is, you know, really how it works or not. You can ask Stan later if this is really how it works. But here's, here's, here's the picture that I have in my brain. I, I imagine every time I mess up that the enemy of my soul goes running to God. I already don't know if this is how it works, so talk to Stan. But, but that's what I imagine. He goes running to the guy and says, hey, God, hey, God, did you see what, did you see what Brian did? <laughs> that guy is a wreck. Did, did you see it? Did you see it? And that before he, you know, gets within, you know, any reasonable, see, this is another theological problem. I was going to see any reasonable hearing distance of God, but that's everywhere. So... So you just have to go with the story, okay? So before he gets within too close a proximity to God, Jesus stops him and says, hey, why don't you get on out of here? Because we're not going to listen to any of that stuff you have to say. So I don't know if that's technically how it works, but I think the, the truth is in there. 
Jesus intercedes for us. He stops the lies of the enemy. He, he, he pleads on our behalf before God. Because God is for you, the loving presence of Christ will accompany you every moment of your life in the good times and the bad times. And even death won't separate you from the presence and the love of God. In fact, you know, Paul says in here that we're more than conquerors. And I really didn't talk about that today, but here, here's what I think that means. Here's, here's what I, you know, a conqueror is one who is victorious. Here's what I think it is to be more than a conqueror. It's when you're victorious, whether you are or you're not. Whether you win or you lose, you still come out on top. That's what I think more than a conqueror is. Even in death, the believer wins. Even in death, the believer is victorious. Even in death, we are with God. We're never separated from His presence and His love. Add up all of these truths. No one and nothing can defeat God's good purposes for your life. You are securing Christ now and forever. God is for you and with you. God is everything you need. Believe it. And be free from worry and fear and condemnation. This truth, this promise, again, is for everyone who loves God and is called according to His purpose. So do you love God? Have you received Christ as Savior and Lord? Have you responded to God's call in your life? And here's an important part of this. Are you continuing on with Him? That's an important part of this. If the answer to these questions is yes, then you're a believer. And these promises are for you. And here's how you can know that you know that you know that these promises are for you. Now listen carefully. You're not going to hear this everywhere. I don't say that often, but it's true. You're not going to hear this everywhere, but it's true. True faith has the quality of permanence. Permanence. Both John and Jesus affirm that true faith has permanence. John tells us in 1 John 2.19 that those who have true faith remain within the community of faith. They don't go out from among us, John said. They stay a part of us. And what he means there is not a local body of believers, but, but the universal community of faith. They don't depart from the faith. They remain in it. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, 13, that it is those who stand firm to the end that will be saved. And so if you love Jesus, if you've received Christ as Savior and Lord, and you are remaining in Him, the promises of Romans 8 are for you. And you can be confident today that no one and nothing can defeat God's plan 
and purposes for you. My prayer is that each of us here today would believe this deep in our spirits and that our confidence in God's love and care for us would grow. It is my prayer that your confidence that God is for you and working for your good would grow. It's my prayer that your confidence that God will complete His work in you would grow. To the point that your confidence in these truths would produce peace and joy in your life. If we can really get these truths in us and believe them, they'll produce peace and joy for us that can be there no matter the circumstances of our lives. Let's stand.